0: We're <music> Arthur, we're going to have to press pause on this political debate that you have instigated. Oh uh, because... I, I literally just said I voted and Laurie's gone on this tirade about
1: the election, how awful it is and everything. No,
0: and I, that's not the case. That's well, the you, case. I
1: think you just got engulfed in the big issues of democracy. It's frustrating, difficult process, but it's the best one we've got. That is so okay. uh,
0: patronising.
1: I, I generally don't mean that as patronising. I mean
0: that as like, it's OK. You didn't just see say, the big arms out of hug breathe gesture, out, breathe out. <laughs> anyway. Right, look, it's, it's Thursday, so today is election day. That is the reason for this uh, horrible, horrible introduction. Should we just talk about movies? Yes. (laughs) Hey, well, there's almost no movies to talk about, (laughs) Phil. That's part of the problem, isn't it? So I've been to see My Cousin Rachel, starring Rachel Weiss. Rachel Vice, Is that your joke? Rachel Vice, yeah, Very good. Uh, yeah. uh, and this is an adaptation of a Daphne de Maurier novel, very famous one called My Cousin Rachel. So looking forward to talking about that. And there are absolutely no other new releases that we've seen because The Mummy comes out in cinemas tomorrow. And as far as I know, screening wise, there was only one tonight. So I'm, I can't review it because I'm here. It doing hasn't the podcast. happened. Yeah. Although now you've told me that there are all the, all the big name national critics, Phil, seem to have had a little sneak peek. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough, isn't it? There's look, two levels. Day, they'll be begging <laughs> to have the super baby bros at their screenings. Yeah. Uh, look, okay, so that means we're going to have a double whammy of what we've been watching, right? And people love that stuff anyway, because people have probably seen those
1: films. Yeah, exactly. And also you've gone and watched that new one on Netflix. What's it? The oh, anime?
0: Blame, which is apparently pronounced Blamu like that. So it's more like Blam than Blame. Blam-u, got blam, point. Blam, Blame. Yeah. Bam. it's a Netflix original an adaptation of a manga series. Uh, it popped up when I scrolled through Netflix and I thought I'd do that. It's sort of a simulation of a new release because I think it was out in May. Oh, right. But it's still new-ish. And then you yeah. can watch it right now if you're on Netflix. Right now. It's almost like a little commentary chat when we come to that. Uh, okay. Is there anything else that we're doing,
1: Phil? I've got a bit of a fan frustration. You know, I love movies. I love talking about movies. And sometimes when you're talking about movies with other people who like movies, It can get a little bit frustrating. (laughs)
0: Have you got something specific to take
1: us through? You'd have to say it now. I do. Good, good. We've also got your emails and tweets, which will be at the back end of the show. Thanks so much for those who've got in touch. You can reach us. At Super Bailey Bros on Twitter, or you can email us in superbaileybros at gmail.com. And we, love Super hearing... <laughs> we love hearing from you guys, and
0: uh, yeah, do get in touch. Don't be afraid, don't be a stranger. Okay, and obviously check out Super superbailey bros if you would like to find out how you can get involved in supporting the show. Uh, and I'll say it right at the beginning here, Phil. I've recently uploaded 10 or so uh, reviews to YouTube. Ages ago, Phil, if you remember, we discussed the idea of starting a Super Bailey Bros YouTube channel, and listeners, I'll just give you an impression of how that conversation went down. It was like, Phil, I'm thinking about uh, doing YouTube, but I'm kind of tied up doing like, the recording and the editing of the show. And Phil, you were a bit like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. That's the thing that I can do for the show. I'm and then, too much for well, we perfectionist. had like Four videos up and now it's been a year maybe until I've done
1: 10 in one day yeah but you've done it slightly differently they're much more low maintenance just up there you can share them with your friends they're just the reviews a bit more like bite-sized super baby bros so share them with your friends that's the positive message yeah I'm
0: hoping the way that what I did just there was humorous rather than sounding really bitter because I don't (laughs) actually mind (laughs) uh but yeah that's done that specifically listeners so that it's easier for you guys to share it if we do a review that you like or you think it's interesting uh, and you uh, would like to tell someone else about the show because that's how we get people to hear about the show we totally depend on you guys then just log on to youtube find it and, and share away
1: and also seriously we're doing a bit of kind of cleaning house on all We've the little apps. yeah if you've never rated the show on itunes we'd really appreciate uh, another rating if you enjoy the show And you want to give us a a five-star review, that'd be fantastic. It means a lot to us.
0: Or four stars, you know, we're not (laughs) busy. Obviously, don't leave a review if you hate the show. Or I suppose you can, of course.
1: You're well welcome. Opinions are welcome at the Super Bailey Bros in Movie Land podcast.
0: Right, I think that's just about everything we can say. I know, I've run out of words. Okay, let's get going. Fully you a literary man? Mm, yeah. What was the last book you read? Pop quiz?
1: Uh I read that one which J.K. Rowling wrote as a what's the word? Pseudonym.
0: What's the, her pseudonym called? Galbraith. Roger Sparrow or something. What's it called? Galbraith. Robert Galbraith, there we go. Roger Galbraith. What is it? Oh, who knows? R- is R- JK R- Rowling's yeah. the name. Like I think it was, was it her own publisher or something who just happened to let that one slip because it wouldn't possibly affect sales. Look, I'm obviously in too bitter a mood Phil I've got to move past this. Okay. The world is good, Ooh. man. <laughs> I saw incidentally, the last book I started reading was Farewell, my lovely. Have you heard of that title no raymond chandler like super famous uh, almost inventor of the hard-boiled detective genre like a total american legend in literature the most racist dialogue i've ever read in a book ever and i'm only about 10 pages in i don't know if i can carry I on no that is it's properly anachronistic wow anyway so there's a little bit of book discussion I saw an adaptation of Daphne Du Maurier's My Cousin Rachel. A very, very famous writer in the 50s. Most famously, probably did Rebecca. Have you come across Rebecca before? Nope. Phil, Phil, Phil. Laurie, you literally said, say no. And I
1: was like, well, you haven't read have uh, no, her. Have you I, saw I, me thought, down the road. Neither have
0: I, but I've sort of heard of it. She's a, she's a fantastic writer of these mysteries that often feature uh, a woman being either the most sort of mysterious figure or the person trying to figure things out. She's a real... uh, People consider her to be a feminist writer today. You know, who knows whether she would have said the same thing about herself. I don't. Maybe she has, and now I look silly. But she's a really interesting prospect, and she is a master... Of the kind of creepy unfolding mysteries, uh, especially in period settings, that really raise the hairs on your neck. Uh, and I'm glad to say the film is a pretty faithful adaptation. Roger Michel directed it, he did Notting Hill, he also did Changing Lanes. Oh! Odd sort of turn for him to take this one on. But he clearly understands that the most important thing when adapting such a well known author's incredibly well-known book is to be as faithful as possible especially when so much of it is about atmosphere and the aura surrounding all these characters so our sort of protagonist is a guy called philip imagine that philip ashley played by sam claflin he was an orphan and got adopted by his older cousin ambrose Ambrose raised him in a kind of laddish way. He was was never married, so they kind of hung out as lads together uh, on his country estate in Cornwall. Then Ambrose's declining health forced him to go to Italy a few times for the warmth, for his health, all that kind of stuff. And on the last trip... He seems to have met someone new. He's met another cousin called Rachel. And Philip is confused. He's not heard of Rachel before. And he's also a bit surprised because Ambrose didn't really seem the sort to chase women in that way. He was fine in the house. In fact, the phrase he uses is, well, he's got me. What's the problem? You know, we're we're a family in and of ourselves. So a bit odd. And then letters keep arriving as he's met Rachel. He marries her. Seems to be the apple of his eye. Seems to be falling completely in love with her. Ambrose, this is. Yeah, yeah, with, with Rachel. The letters from Ambrose. And then they start to turn a bit weird and a bit dark. They start to take on a tone of paranoia and fearfulness and anxiety. He even seems to be suspecting Rachel of poisoning him and manipulating him, keeping an eye on him uh, when he's writing these letters, as if all those nice letters before may actually have been faked. So it's all getting a bit mysterious. When word finally arrives that Ambrose's health is really declining terribly, Philip jets off to Italy to find out what on earth has happened, especially to find out if this evil Harrod and Rachel is what she seems to be. On arriving there, Ambrose is already dead. And don't worry, listeners, this isn't really spoilers. This is the setup. He's already dead. Uh, Philip is devastated, returns home. The funeral happens and everything else like that. And then one day he hears word from one of his servants. Because Philip is now is now heir to this estate, Ambrose's estate, he's kind of master of the house. He receives word from one of his servants that Rachel has arrived. She's arrived in Plymouth and she is available to be met. So Philip has a job ahead of him. He sort of hates and fears this woman. He doesn't know whether she is the way that Ambrose was portraying her. He doesn't know whether Ambrose, maybe his health was causing him to see things. But certainly he's got to meet this woman and he's got to find out. So here is a clip uh, in which they meet for the first time. And you can tell that he is suspicious. But something about Rachel, played by Rachel Vice, is just so sort of intriguing. He finds his steely resolve not exactly melting, but shifting a little bit. Here we go.
1: Perhaps tomorrow I could borrow a horse and have a look around. Such an odd feeling. Driving up to the house, he can, standing by the door to welcome me. I've done it so many times in my imagination. Clock struck the hour as we drove up. I even seemed to recognize the sound of the bell.
0: you're tired i'm not tired you're half asleep no i i'm not tired i'm really not will you please stop being so polite and get up and go to bed of course of course (coughs) i'm sorry sorry uh, sorry. good night Spooky piano or what? Why does Sam Claflin always sound the same? I know. That's exactly what I thought, Phil. It was quite good to see him in this role because it's slightly different than anything else that he's played. He's been Finnick in the Hunger Games. Uh, He was the love interest... uh, In Me Before You. Me Before You, who lost the use of his limbs. Is that right? Yeah, he was Uh,
1: paraplegic, I think he was. And
0: I saw him in something called The Riot Club where he played a very posh boy... Uh, at oxford university who is just or evil to the core basically in a way that you wouldn't expect so he's certainly getting around and of course their finest most recently with Gemma Arterton. but yeah in every single film he's got exactly the same voice <laughs> he always sounds like he might be a psychopath <laughs> do you think so i think so
1: i always think he thinks he's saying the most interesting things in the world and he's above everyone That's because my he's got impression. such
0: sort of a, a rich delivery it's very kind of final you give him an impression if you can Well, I suppose so. That's pretty good. The disdain is coming through. I'm remembering a line from Their Finest, which was, uh, it was wrapped around my chips. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Anyway, listeners, you be the judge. I think he's pretty good, Phil. He's pretty good in this role because he's got that weird sort of edge to him. Because a massive part of Daphne du Maurier's novel and this film adaptation is that you see it all through his eyes. And you need to ask yourself, is this guy the most reliable way to discover the truth uh, of everything that's happened.
1: So he's the central character. Philip is exactly. the, the core, the person that you're with, the protagonist.
0: Yeah, and Rachel comes to stay. They interact a lot. Uh, other sorts of events happen. But the focus is always, with laser focus, on who is Rachel? Is she the person that Ambrose says she was?
1: It's sort of ring bells for me, but kind of in the reverse of Lady Macbeth.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of Lady Macbeth in there. There's also a sort of a hint of Jane Austeny love and friendship vibe. If you remember the love and friendship film I saw where Kate Beckinsale plays a manipulative older woman who succeeds in getting all these younger men to do her bidding and give her money and stuff, there's a sort of twisting of natures between those two things. But actually it eludes all of them, Phil, because it's it's so skillful. The whole thing is that you can't nail it down. You can't really figure out whether Rachel is this sort of temptress, uh, a manipulative mastermind, or whether she is someone who is is innocent, very very charming, and is frustratingly manipulated by the men in her life. In fact, and she's sort of victimized and yet wanting to live her own life. Like which Rachel is it? I I, I really think it's terrific. What sort of genre is it then? Is it a mystery or is it a thriller? Is it a period piece? Sort of a gothic period drama thriller mystery, <laughs> right? <okay. laughs> One of those. Thanks for that. But in all of that, you know, you you do need to know, listeners. It's, it's very gentle. It unfolds incredibly slowly, and Roger Mich- uh, Michelle Mitchell clearly thinks that atmosphere and a building sense of expectation is the most important part of the film. I think he's quite right to do that. That's much more faithful uh, to the way that the book is written, and so you need to set yourselves for a fairly slow-paced affair and you need to soak up the atmosphere. Like, I mean, Cornwall looks wonderful. They've got this stately home out in the rugged isolation of the 19th century Cornish countryside, Phil, uh, with mahogany rooms and tapestry walls and very fine furniture. But the way that it's shot and particularly the sound design and the silence and the lighting, there's constant sort of uh, contrast between light and dark flickering candles they're always playing one against each other it, it really feeds this sense that dark things might be there but then again they might not
1: i don't know man maybe this is my own bias but the way you're describing it that whole period setting of kind of creepy and like ooh and people walking around with candles in the house in the dark and in their period costumes yeah i mean, it's kind not like of a stilted, ghost story no but, but like yeah. stilted uh dialogue and sort of very proper and like what's their sort of subtext intention
0: is the way that they communicate and all that hasn't that already been done before well of course it has but there's there's nothing wrong with that it's a genre piece right I mean, I'd say I gave four genres. Say, so yeah. pick, pick which one. It's <laughs> okay. um, mainly a period piece, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with returning to something that's been really well told. It wouldn't fit. Well, I mean, it has been adapted for TV. It has been adapted for film once before with Richard Burton in 1952, I think. But I think I think the film sells it well. I I don't have a problem with that. One thing I, I do want to add in, and this is something I wrote in my text review as well, and it's the kind of thing you just go for it, Phil. You have to have confidence because I've said something that I think the director has done. But you know how you know, he might not have done that and I might mm. have just seen been looking into there. it. Yeah, there's something I really liked about Roger Mitchell's direction because the way that often things are framed mean that... Uh, Sam Claflin's Philip and Rachel Vice's Rachel are often not really the focus of a scene or a frame. You often see them from slightly odd reverse angles or low angles or obscured through parts of the furniture. So maybe there'll be a massive out of focus like chair blocking the shot for you. So you have to perceive things in the background. And to my eyes, I thought that was really deft and brilliant because it's almost as if space is being left in the frame for the dark secrets that are not being said. So all the stuff. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes at me. That was ridiculous. Come man. on, Come I on, believe that. I wrote it down. It's, it's in so the newspaper. Get over yourself. <laughs> but no, but like I actually thought that, and I wouldn't say it just to be pretentious. I promise you. Like it's something I noticed. I think if you watch it, Phil. Now you must, so that you have to take back that pretentious <laughs> comment. Uh, you'll you'll notice it. It's weird. I wonder why they've shot it that way, and why they haven't just given me a proper close up of their face. And I think it's to suggest there's all this hidden stuff going on in the frame, in the scene, in Shrouded the story. Shrouded in mystery. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I get the impression I'm not really selling this film to you well uh, tell so, me about Rachel Weiss. yeah she's really good well, it's interesting the way that she's being reported on in some of the other stuff people are writing is as this great sort of femme fatale uh, feminist woman who takes control of everything I just think I think that's a total mislabelling of the film because it completely belies Daphne du Maurier's skill in making Rachel this kind of elusive character. What she does brilliantly, Rachel Vice, is without dissolving into melodrama or anything approaching hamminess, uh, she deflects your expectations at every turn. So when you think you're getting a handle on who she might be, there's something subtle in her performance or the dialogue or the events that just shifts it away. So she, she kind of is just not the way that you'd expect. She's not this sort of uber charming woman. Who uh, captivates everyone in the room? Actually, she's a bit smaller than that. A she's bit not more... super polished. Yeah, no, that. not not at all, and, that, and that's why I think it's a brilliant character by Daphne de Maurier. and Rachel Vice. I think captures it perfectly. I, I, you know, we are big fans of Rachel Vice, I think we both like. Are you not? I think she's great. I think she's okay. I don't. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of hers. I think she's really good. I think she's she's a subtle performer, and she's a perfect choice for this role. Um, but look, I think this is probably all I need to say on this, because either it's your thing or it isn't, basically. Either you like a slow, atmospheric period mystery, or you don't. And you go and watch Fast and Furious or whatever else is on at the cinema, Pirates of the Caribbean. What's the big film out? I can't remember. The Mummy. The Mummy, yeah, well, I'll go and see that as well. It's kind of a period piece, is it? <laughs> right, so for me, it's going to get a B plus. What's the certificate? it is a uh, 12a and that's a moderate sex references but for language as well there was some surprisingly strong language being used uh, in the film which took me aback a, a little bit uh, one final shout out needs to go to Ian Glenn and Holiday Granger Ian Glenn is most famous now for being Sir Jorah Mormont in Game of Thrones yeah with you I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm, be amazed if he doesn't suddenly start picking up a huge number of roles now in film and elsewhere because that's really been a good breakthrough for him and I think he's terrific in this he plays godfather to Philip who's his legal guardian until he comes of age at 25 at which point he'll inherit the estate Yeah, and so he's kind of a father figure to him and he plays it with a very good sort of restraint strained sense of wisdom and firmness and grace but nevertheless with a twinge of well he's just a you know another guy like everybody else similarly holiday granger uh plays his godfather's daughter <laughs> so, I don't know so sort of is. weird stepsister kind of like that and they're, they're good friends and there's a suggestion she might be romantically interested in philip she plays that very subtly as well i, I think what's really nice is the way that no element of this is overplayed And it allows it to be a fairly flat, but in a good way, so that it unfolds in a very balanced way.
1: Can I ask one question, which I think might decide whether or not our listeners go see it or not, and why I might go see it or not? Mm -hmm. Does it resolve, or is it all about ambiguous? What does it mean? And is it left open to interpretation?
0: Well, how long's a piece
1: of string, Phil? Well, do you feel like there is a solid sense of resolution?
0: I guess you just got to flip the other side of the coin sometimes. (laughs)
1: I don't want to see this film don't count your chickens
0: before they're <laughs> hatched alright i see this film there's no way I've seen this film come on Phil a Rolling Stone guy has no more. It's just you know any bonuses bad flashback sequences that's it didn't like them <laughs> why that's just it that's what I've got to say they're really tiny don't like, them. Don't like they're them. them they're weirdly like high energy uh, and like very flashy when the rest of the film is so sedate it's silly it doesn't make sense it's like blur. yeah 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 okay. there you go Okay, should I do my film fan frustration?
1: Yeah, let's have it, Phil. So, picture the scene. I'm sat around with some of my mates, some of my chums, some of my, some of my pals. Your homies. Yeah, exactly. My gang, my squad. And uh, we're just chatting about movies, and we're talking about this movie and that movie, and we're talking about... Are you talk about that movie. But but yeah, I love but... that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that invariably you sort of say, oh, I really like this one, or I like that one. And Jake Gyllenhaal came up as, a, as an actor. And, you know, I said, I think I said last week, in fact, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a, an... un. A uh, slightly less attentioned version of Leonardo DiCaprio, in my opinion. Okay, all right. And one of the films that he's done is Jarhead, which I'm a big fan of. I yes, like Jarhead. I've seen it. And uh, then one of my friends was just like, oh, I hate that film. Nothing happens in that film. It's so annoying. It's so frustrating. <laughs> and like, honestly, in my head was just like this little mini explosion <laughs> because that is entirely the point of the film. That's why I think. That's why I think it's a brilliant film. Because nothing happens. For those of you who haven't don't know about this film, this is a a, a film uh, written by a guy who was in the military. He was uh, trained as a sniper, and it's basically the story of this guy going to Iraq, and he's got this skill. He's been honing this skill. He he's got this gun. He's all about this is my rifle. There are many other like You know, the Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, speech yeah, or whatever. yeah. And he's desperate to basically use the skills and he's been brainwashed into focusing in on getting that kill, getting that sort of usefulness in his life of what he's been trained to do. And the whole film is stretched out and out and out. And that ne- that moment never really arrives. And you gradually see how this has affected these uh, these people. They've been shifted into these war machines, but there's no war for them to fight.
0: Or at least there is, but they're not able to fight it in their squad, right? Exactly, and so the film is brilliantly pushing you
1: to try and almost crave that action scene, that final moment when you'll get some sort of, uh, what's the word?
0: Well, a closure, because you're getting all the tension and the expectation, but there's no closure, because, and it's very clever that it does that, because of course actually you don't really want to see someone get shot. But that's the whole point of the film, right? Exactly, yeah. And it's, so it's, it's putting you in that mindset.
1: And so to have it be like, oh, this, is so, this film's so annoying. <laughs> like so nothing boring. happens, <laughs> And it's so boring. Like, where's the fuck? It just blew my mind. and I didn't know what to do with it because it was just... I, it I liked stopped this. you in your tracks. Yeah, I really didn't know what to do with it. And I've had this happen a couple of times. There's another time when I remember seeing Inception with one of my friends and then... Like, I'd seen Inception a couple of times by this point, so I knew how the film ends and everything like that. I knew it all, and I was kind of almost showing it to them because I thought, I really like this film, I want them to see it. And then I remember at the end, they were like, oh man. They're gonna to have to do way, way. Like they're gonna to have to do lots with the sequel. Basically, is what they said, and I was like, <laughs> "No, no, there's no sequel. It's not about the whole point is the film. It's one. If there was a sequel announced,
0: that, <laughs> that would be quite something. It would ruin
1: the internet because there'd be <laughs> nothing for them to talk about, would there? Yeah, yeah. But it's just one of those weird things where I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, "I'm sorry, sorry, you didn't quite get it. And if I blah, could blah, blah, just say, like, "Yeah, if I could just no, the whole point. And the thing is, is. I don't want to sound like I'm all Mr. Arrogant and I understand films perfectly, but when you do feel like you've got a grasp on a film and you think, well, that's what the director's trying to do, how do you deal with it when you see somebody
0: kind of not get the point? This is interesting, Phil, because I wish I could rejoin with you some stories that are the same, but I honestly can't think of any because I think I am I am that guy you just described. What the guy who doesn't even think about oh, No, I'm sorry. No, this is what you misunderstood. Oh, you, oh, you correct them? <laughs> then. I think I'm, I think I must be because I can't remember a time where I've just bitten my tongue because someone hasn't come across it. I've probably done it to you actually. You uh, probably have. Done yeah. It to <laughs> so I, I I can only apologise to everyone, but Phil, I can feel your frustration. But is it, do
1: you not also find it kind of funny? It's sort of funny in the sense that, well, the thing is, I don't want, it's, it's because uh, I don't know what to do with this. Because in some ways, if they haven't picked up on it, then that means the film hasn't
0: worked. Well, that's what I mean. It's funny, not because they've got it wrong so much as, isn't it just funny how people can see so many different things in a film? And like people can completely miss something or people can completely like take the wrong message away. That's one of the things I love about it. I mean,
1: that's kind of what you're saying ages ago when you were talking about uh, the guy who did Starship Troopers.
0: Oh, right, yeah, um, Paul Verhoeven. Yes, everyone thought uh, it was just an action film. When and as if it was like encouraging
1: <laughs> yeah. you to go to war, but it's a complete satire. It's a satire.
0: Yeah, that's true, and I can imagine he had to bite his tongue a lot uh, during press conferences and things. I think the only thing that's really jumping to mind for me, Phil, is kind of, maybe this is a different topic now, uh, was when you know my wife uh, had not seen Star Wars really, oh yeah, uh, and she certainly couldn't remember anything about them. You know, her mind doesn't really hang on to details like that. Uh, she she would say, you know, that's not my opinion. <laughs> uh, and so I was really excited to watch the original trilogy with her because precisely because she hadn't know the big the, the big, big twist. twist that we you know you see in these hundred greatest movie moments or whatever. Everyone says, well, I like, couldn't believe yeah. it, blew my mind," and everything. Like I was so excited that she didn't know, and and then when we were watching that part. Um, I I basically did that thing where I sort of turned around. Like you do that with weird expression, sort of like of just smile. trying to see what's what she's going to make of it all. And she, her expression didn't change at all, <laughs> just completely. To the a point different. where a few, later, Stan, a few minutes later, I paused it and said, "Did you did you did see you pick up on what that? just happened there?" She's like, uh, "Oh yeah, oh he's his father or something, wasn't he?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> so that's probably yes! the closest yeah kind of, like that sort of but that's come more on! Di- that's more disappointment because I, I hoped that she would be blown away in the way that i was never able to because it was already spoiled for me well what you
1: can do is go on youtube because loads of like dads have filmed
0: their kids discovering that oh, and their shocked cool. faces that's, that's cool.
1: it almost brings a tear to your eyes. does it really it brings a tear to their eyes sometimes uh, well. and that's <laughs> them discovering star wars anyway that's off the po- off the topic what I'm interested to in know is how do people deal with that? I'm sure I'm not alone in this frustration when somebody just clearly has misunderstood a film or not quite got it. Do you correct them? Do you just sort of let it go by and bite your tongue and sort of explode in your brain? Let us know.
0: Well, and I also want to know from the other point of view, how do you handle it when some film nerd. Oh, no, is- no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this is all. He's clearly annoyed with you for not picking up on something. You just don- honestly don't care. I'd like to know how people deal with that situation on the on the flip side, yeah. Yeah, in touch, superbabybrows
1: at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbabybrows. And that's my film fan frustration. Very good, Phil. <laughs>
0: Right, Netflix original anime film time, Phil. *Bulamu* or blame, exclamation mark, has landed uh, on UK Netflix shores fairly recently, and it is an adaptation of a manga of the same name that's been running for quite some time. Uh, The manga is one of these stories, as far as I can tell anyway from reading up about it, that doesn't really end. It follows this guy called Killy. Serial, basically. Yeah, and and basically it's set in this massive, post-apocalyptic sort of mega city. The world has been... Uh, taken over by an ai sort of being that relentlessly builds and creates new parts of a city so it's a huge mega structure separated into these levels no one lives in it it's just this high-tech sort of nightmare that's gigantic it's uh, there's uh, some description that it might be larger than jupiter or something like that so one of the characters at one point has to cross a room the size of jupiter and there's this idea that it might be like a dyson sphere so it's this huge technological nightmare and of course, that AI that has malfunctioned or something and relentlessly started building was originally created to serve humans. Of course, now it's just trying to eliminate them because that's the only thing we can imagine about technology in the future. Apparently, it can only destroy hate humans us. Yeah. The, you know, listeners, you've already heard me say, I get really tired of this whole what if machines become sentient thing because we've got such a limited imagination. It troubles me. Either it's shall we sleep with them or it's oh, no, they're going to kill us. Great. <laughs> How about some other ideas, everyone? Anybody? Anyone? The best thing, the one that only came close to it was A.I. by Steven Spielberg. Do you remember that? And that yeah, but a, that was even... That, that was a weird film. That did the whole, shall we sleep with them? Well, look, exactly, there you go. Or no oh, no we one's should destroy them, them. That's basically the only two so- <laughs> things in the, the film. <laughs> so what you need to look for in, in the sort of premise here is less big ideas that are interesting and you need to look for more nuance. So the way that the remaining humans are introduced or the way that the city is presented, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be the characters that matter. Mm. So therefore I'm disappointed in this film. Killy is this guy who's some kind of special human. And incidentally, that word human gets ping ponged around. So it doesn't make any sense anymore when you watch the film. Apparently, a human can also kind of mainly be a robot. But they call it a human. I, who knows, Phil? He's some kind of super guy. He's trying to search for remaining humans who have the network gene or something like that. I can't remember what it, the net right. network. I can't remember what it's called. The net sphere network gene. <laughs> something like that. Net net gene. <laughs> something like that. And the idea is that if someone has got that in them, then they are going to be able to control this completely out of control AI system and computer. But all those humans seem to have disappeared. So he is searching forever over this massive, terrifying city to find them. And this is just one of his adventures that in the manga that they decided to turn into the film. He meets these people called the fishes, I think they are, or the electro fishers. And they scavenge for stuff. They've got a little protected area. But they're this- not humans. Uh, no, they are humans. Uh, they've got a protected area where they hunt for food, hunt for parts, bring it all back, and they just try and scratch a living. For whatever reason, the machines cannot cross a barrier to get to them, and they also don't seem to totally know where they are. So we joined Zuru and Tay and... Uh, a few other guys as well, and that's how we're introduced to the beginning of the film as they go on one of these hunts and this is where they meet Killy. right?
1: Has it got a bit of a Western vibe or something like that?
0: No, no, not at all. I I think this is a really Japanese story. It's got a very Japanese feel to it. I... I think a lot of, unless you're an anime fan or a manga fan, neither of which I am particularly, I have to admit, unless it's Studio Ghibli, I think you're going to find this hard to access. It's meandering, terminology and ideas get thrown around that don't make any sense. You have to do all the knitting together yourself. There seems to be stuff in the film that everyone knows that you don't know uh, and I just found it confusing and a bit boring because there's a lot of dialogue. And so when, you, much when you don't know what's going on, you just have to sit and watch these people have like campfire chats. You're like, what? Tell me what to root for, please. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, number two that I didn't like is the animation. I think it's really. Now, you know, I'm hesitant to say this because animation fans will get annoyed with me, but I think the animation's bad. This is the thing that I've suddenly seen emerging in a lot of anime films, and the Red Turtle had it in some places as well. The one that was co-produced by Studio yep. Ghibli—it's three D rendered models, which are being sort of faked as if they are hand drawn. Have you seen this film? Yeah, yeah, I've seen like videos discussing
1: the merits and cons of that as a technique.
0: Right, and what is fascinating to me is that do you remember ages ago on this podcast we discussed the benefits of hand drawn animation versus CG, and one of the key things I said was it's the missing frames in hand-drawn animation that communicate pace and motion, and it's the ability to distort the models, all that kind of thing, an artistic sense... What they do to make it consistent with the anime uh, feel is they've obviously sculpted the movements with a 3D model. They've adapted the colour system and the black outlines to make it look like it's hand-drawn. So they've only got one highlight colour and one shadow colour. But then they cut out frames from their movements. So they look like they're moving jerkily. So they're trying to synthesise. Yeah, they're doing it. Which It's just interesting that that is the thing that obviously they feel makes the difference. But because your eye can instantly perceive that it's not hand-drawn because there's no flex or stretching. It's not a fluid in, motion, it's computerised. It's not fluid. It just looks like they just... Why have they let the frame rate be so rubbish? Is it still buffering or what? Like, yeah, it doesn't work for me. And it, it, every time I noticed that it was a 3D model, it irritated me. And I just thought, just draw it, please, basically.
1: It's almost like the computer's taken over the film.
0: Well, there we go. Thematic so the only impressive things in my book listeners are the design This sort of underlying design is really impressive but as far as I know that's just ripped straight out of the manga interestingly in the trailer I'm going to play at the end of this so you can get a feel for it the first title card says they said it was unfilmable or like impossible to realise on film a sort of Greek <laughs> but they've obviously done their best because that, those are the only things that maintain that artistic sense you know these huge like metallic structures just disappear and often the subjects of the frame are tiny like the people you're following are so minuscule the scale really comes across and mm. it is incredibly moody and dimly lit it's like the most depressing and huge version of Blade Runner without the people in it basically mm. uh, so I'll praise it for that but basically nothing else I thought it was incomprehensible I thought the action scenes were overdone uh, and it just doesn't translate well that is quite a big negative from you there Laurie I just wish maybe it's because as I said before I'm not a huge anime or manga fan and there are a lot of people who maybe have more patience with that sense of meandering story that probably isn't going to go anywhere than me if you're going to make a film I think it needs to have a start and an end point even if it's going to be an ambiguous end point you need it's to illustrate it, to it quite clearly where it's going. Yeah, and this is so clearly an inconsequential story that it's just random that it, it bugs me.
1: I'm sure there's some people listening who are quite angered by what you're saying. That's okay. I, I would I, like to You know to hear what, from them. I'd
0: so much rather that I'm wrong and have missed the point of this film than that I'm right. So please do tell me if I've got it all wrong. What is the grade, quickly? I'm going to give it a C minus that is very low and it's not enjoyable I, I don't think are we going to open it up and say
1: if you're an anime fan or a manga fan and you know about Blame Blame yes then do get in touch superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbabybros and tell Laurie what he is missing out on
0: yes please do ok I'll close it out with the trailer here this is you won't be able to understand it because it's Japanese language but pick up on the atmosphere from the music and listen out right to the end because you'll hear the way to properly pronounce the title Blame Ningen <laughs>
1: 信じ。ブラム。What have we been watching this week? Woo!
0: There we go. You can't sigh because I believe you were a big fan of this approach. Ah, it's just because I know I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) No, I think that was right, actually. That was a good job. Right, what have you been watching this week, Laurie? Yeah, well, we're going to do two reviews each, but don't worry, they're going to be really quick reviews. Phil, what are your two?
1: Why? See, well, I think I've done both of these on what we've been watching before, or, or talked about them on the podcast. You get very hazy trying to remember what films you've done and what you haven't. And blah, you see, so- I have no such haziness. You definitely haven't done this. <laughs> okay, well, great. Probably. So I'm going to do *Sense and Sensibility* and *How to Train Your Dragon*. The nice. first one,
0: number one. Yeah, the first one. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to do *Children of Men* from Alfonso Cuarón, starring Clive Owen, and I'm also going to do *Gladiator*. <laughs> not, not not, the TV show. The Scottish version. I, right. uh, yeah, okay, do you want to go first? What should I start with? How to Train Your Dragon,
1: I think. Okay, How to Train Your Dragon. We need to say that better. How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon.
0: Welcome to dragon training. Today, you will learn to fight dragons. Pain. Love it. Let's get started. Ah! You should come by sometime to work out. You look like you work out. Ah! I guess it's just you and me, huh? No, just you. Huh? Focus, Hiccup! Can I transfer to the class with the cool Vikings? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Has anyone ever tried to train a dragon? No one's ever left to tail the tail. It's okay. I'm not gonna hurt you. see if this works. We're going to take this nice and slow. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Yeah! Get down! It's okay. You just scared him.
1: I scared him?
0: Everything we know about them is wrong. Let me show you. Either we finish them, or they'll finish us. Fire! fight them cool go baby no matter how this ends it ends today what are you gonna do something crazy i'm in me too sign me up i
1: love this plan Listeners, can you believe it? It came out in 2010. That's seven years ago. I can believe it. Yeah. That is crazy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) What is happening
0: today?
1: Uh, Carry on. I remember really liking this film when I saw it in cinemas and thinking, yeah, How to Train Dragon. Great movie. Having watched it again, I was thinking, oh, great. Great movie. I'm looking forward to this. I didn't really like it. Really? Didn't really like it at all. I remember being surprised how much I enjoyed it, that first one. Yeah, but then watching it again, I realised that the things which really slightly pecked at me they started pecking a bit more this time to the point where I cracked and I was just like no I don't like this this is really irritating because I think much like Up and I think I've talked about that much before how the, the opening scene carries you right the way through I think there's only certain elements in this film that really carry you the way through and make it into a in inverted
0: commas good film but you think if you, if the shine goes off that opening or the good bits then the bad bits eventually overpower it like anderson and apple <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah that's on yeah. an apple that famous phrase yeah uh i think this film comes down to a kid
1: learning all the secret hidden tricks of a dragon it's quite entertaining and the absolutely stellar design of the dragon the main dragon the What's night he called? fury toothless toothless yes yeah there we go that was designed by the same person who designed lilo and stitch
0: oh really oh, i can see that now. you can see yeah, it in yeah, the yeah. face and everything
1: like that i think that dragon and that character is the only reason that this film has done so well because you look at the supporting characters and the sporting voice talent it is unbelievably good, and yet it means nothing to you. It doesn't really stay with you at all. So it's got Craig Ferguson as one of the guys. He's the late-night talk show guy, or used to be late-night talk okay, show Okay, yeah, yeah. It's got Jared Butler. Yes. It's got Jonah Hill. Oh, he plays the like tough kid, doesn't he? He plays one of the kind of dragon gang. he yeah. has got America Ferrera, you know, the ugly Betty girl. Right, yeah. It's got Kirsten Wiig as, uh, as well, is there? Kirsten Wiig.
0: Kirsten Wiig, yeah, Kristen Wiig. Uh, also known as, um, oh, Let It Go Girl, not Let It Go girl. girl. The other one from uh, Frozen. No, not at all. Yeah, she is. Kristen. Oh, no, Kristen Bell. Look, Phil, <laughs> just don't... How... Here's the thing. I'll stop talking completely. Please carry on. Basically, you've got this
1: kind of big name celebrity characters or celebrity voices, Jonah Hill, all that sort of stuff, Gerard Butler. And I don't really think they really play a part into the, the film at all. It's really all about Hiccup, which is the stupidest name ever for a main character. Just want to say that. And basically him discovering this cool dragon that he knows. It's all about this cool dragon, which is really cool. You're like, I wish I had that dragon. That's the entire film. There's nothing else to it. The village of, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, like Bree or Bronson or something like that. Or Bron. (laughs) The village of Bron is not very nice. It looks really not very fun. And the Vikings aren't very fun, they're not very interesting, the humour isn't really there. The designs of the all the other dragons are not at all like the Night Fury, not at all like Toothless. They're these ugly, spindly, little, sharp tooth things that look really not fun to be a pet.
0: Is that not based on the series of books that came first, though?
1: Yeah, so it probably is, all of that is probably based on it. But I think, ultimately, everything that you like about this film is, as I said, it's Toothless. Toothless is the star And that has not really much to do with the rest of the film.
0: So in other words, there's no real story to accompany it, which again, wouldn't surprise me because of its original source material. Well, the story is really following Hiccup and his uh, ascendance
1: into can he fulfill the expectations of his uh, tribe leader's father, Gerald Butler. He's the kind of village leader and elder, and he wants Hiccup to be his heir. And he's not very manly. And that's essentially what it is. And the whole village hates dragons.
0: I think probably you're you're seeing this with adult eyes. Well, I reckon a lot of kids would love it. And the message and the story probably do feel very exciting because Hiccup is learning that you don't have to be a certain type of man to be a good man or to be a successful man. Actually, you just play to your strengths and be you. And there are ways that you can succeed and and make friends. That is good. But I just think, actually, there's very little
1: to enjoy. I think it's quite a thin story. And I was disappointed because I remember liking it a lot and thinking, oh, this is great. But then I realised the scenes which I was enjoying were just exclusively one element of the film. It's story. almost like the
0: superhero power discovery scene that we talk about, and that's
1: the only thing that really. Misses. Yeah, imagine
0: that was the only thing
1: that was actually yeah. good in the film, but that was really good. Would it paper over the cracks of the film? Okay, interesting, man. Uh, great, then. I think I'm going to give it like a B minus. I think I was really disappointed.
0: There we go. Okay, so do mine. Yeah. Children of Men. I can't really remember when I last had any hope. And I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, Since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for?
1: The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. The youngest person on earth was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours and 8 minutes old.
0: The ultimate mystery,
1: why are women infertile? Some say it's genetic experiments,
0: pollution. Why do you think we can't make babies anymore? Doesn't matter. It's all over in fifty years. It's too late. Move along. Move along. Hello, Theo. Have you been? I'm
1: sorry about the theatrics. The police have been a pain lately.
0: I haven't seen you for nearly twenty years. I need your help. Not for me, a girl. Need to get her to the coast, past security checkpoints. It's hard for me to look at you. He had your eyes. So why did you come to me? I trust you. Show him. Now you know what's at stake. We have to meet the boat. What is this boat? The human project have sent a boat the human project it's the greatest minds in the world working for a new society your baby is the miracle the whole world has been waiting for we will find a way to get you to the human project i promise you we're almost there kid. we're almost there
1: same man. The only time I've ever liked Clive Owen is in that scene with Jason Bourne. You know? Oh in right, where he's one. playing an assassin. Yeah, and he's, he's just great been shot, in and he says, "Look at us. Look at what they make you give."
0: That is a really good scene, and he's really good in it because he's playing to his natural boring strengths. <laughs> you right, <laughs> the mundanity of his deadpan. job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly, listeners, look. I would. The thing I feel whenever I see Clive Owen is that I think. Like, physically, visually, he's pretty good. I just can't deal with his voice. He sounds so boring. It's like Ross from Friends, but the, like, I'm dramatic version. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, I, I can't figure it out. I don't know what directors see in him, but he keeps getting roles. Maybe he maybe we're completely missing something. Uh, but, yeah, listeners, this is Alfonso Cuaron's film, which is, as you probably picked up in the trailer, all about, you know, what if, in the year 2027, I think it is, Uh, fertility rates continually drop all of a sudden they're just non-existent so that people are not able to conceive anymore so there is no next generation what does the world look like Uh, immediately you discover that the youngest person in the world is now a celebrity because they are the last they are people closest to youth and closest to having just been born and the opening is the youngest person in the world has been killed in a fight because he refused to sign someone's book Depressing. <laughs> uh, and we see all this through the eyes of Clive Owen, who is a bureaucrat. is uh, kind of got different links with governmental people uh, and is sort of vaguely important. But he's also depressed because of the state of the world around him. And they do all this in the UK. And Britain is allegedly one of the few stable countries left in the world. Everyone else having devolved into chaos, basically. Well, because there's no future. Yeah, there's like rioting and civil war and everyone's kind of just trying to carve out their final turf because for all they know, that could be it. And there are a few people who've got beliefs about what might be able to come. There are a few people who think it's the last chance for some kind of political movement to take place, some kind of revolution. There's a huge immigration crisis in the UK because of its perceived stability and there's massive division between the people who are there naturally and the people who want to come and live there. There's awful scenes of brutality with force being shown against illegal immigrants and and various groups of people. So it's a very volatile world, and Clive Owen's depressed in it. So when an old flame of his, Julianne Moore, who is involved in some kind of special underground movement, recruit him to help them transfer a girl from an unstable place in the UK to what this thing called the human project It's sort of a MacGuffin, really. But he is initially suspicious. But when he discovers the key thing about the girl, he agrees to it. And the key thing is she's pregnant. Would you believe it? So there you go. I didn't like this film, listeners. And I'm really sorry to say it's perhaps almost entirely to do with the way that it's filmed. And I'm gutted to say that because I like Alfonso Cuaron. He did our favourite Harry Potter. Prisoner of Aspen. Yeah, that's right. And he's well known uh, in the sort of indie film world, I think, for having a slightly crazy approach to projects. And I think this film has picked up a bit of that underdog vibe that is so powerful in today's world where it didn't do very well at the box office. It was kind of ignored. And yet a lot of people have seen it since. And it's really becoming a cult classic. I will say that while you were
1: talking about the plot and things, it sounds like the world is very well realized and there's a lot of ideas behind What if this was the scenario? What would it look like? What would society look like? What would people be like?
0: Yeah. And you've got to give it credit there. Well, it's interesting you say that because what I I think what you've just said really puts the finger on the problem I have with it. Because I think it is well directed. It is skillfully directed. And he knows how to fill out the world and make everything feel urgent. You know, there's huge amounts of handheld camera and long tracking shots that feel very disorientating. But I just disagree with his approach to it. So although I can tell that it's skillful and very well done, I found the world really annoying to live in. It feels like a teenager's idea of what might happen to the world. Grittiness. But handled so seriously and with so much solemnity that the film is saying to you, this is serious. And if for one second you find it a bit annoying because let's not forget you're watching a film, Mm. then you're out. You know, the minute that you are not convinced or you don't, like the tone then you're out of the whole film and nothing means anything to you anymore it it so depends on you instantly uh clicking with the scenario as it's portrayed with the style of the characters the seriousness of all the dialogue and everything else if it misses you if anything passes you by you're gone and and i don't think you'll into the film and i didn't it didn't grab me i needed a broader range of tone to be presented. I needed more levity, which I think therefore is why my favourite thing in the whole film is Michael Caine. who plays this really odd, eccentric, uh, sort of hippie guy. He used to be a photojournalist, but he just kind of plays everything quite lightheartedly. Even Pull My Finger is in there from Michael Caine, that old chestnut. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, really. So thank goodness for him, but but he was the only thing I really liked about it. And I'm sorry to say that because I know if any uh, Children of Men fans hear this, they will hate everything I've just said. It often appears in one of
1: those sort of like 20 hidden gems you haven't watched or something like that. Right,
0: and it was listed as a five-star film uh, on the movie service I was using, and... I just can't agree. I think for me, it would, it would get a B minus. That's a lot lower than I think a lot of people will have it in their books. Well, you need to see it, Phil, and tell me what you think.
1: I've been meaning to watch it for a long time because I'm a big fan of Alfonso Cuarón. I like the idea of the film. I remember seeing the opening of the film in media studies, believe it or not, Ooh. how to build suspense and things and how it conveys things about the world without saying anything. But I've never watched the whole final product and I've always been curious but never got around to watching it
0: so yeah there you go listeners i think advisedly you know if you're interested to see what all the fuss is about give it a watch but i found it a bit exhausting and a bit too solemn for its own good really and clive owen too, too boring do <laughs> you hear the the little line that he does do well oh what from jason bourne yeah okay but then we better go on to your next film phil they said go to paris is treadstone uh-huh. in paris look at this
1: look at what they like, you give
0: Okay, Phil, and your next film is... Sense and Sensibility. Weird way to say that. Well, it's all posh, it?
1: This holiday
0: season, one motion picture will bring you all the surprises ah! that life and love can offer. You are the loveliest girls I ever set eyes on. Can you not get the married, Mrs. Dashwood? Marianne and Eleanor, as different as two sisters can be, you love him i do not attempt to deny that i think very highly of him that i greatly
1: esteem him
0: esteem him like him
1: Eleanor is not like you or me dear she does not like to be swayed by her emotions
0: columbia pictures invites you the more i know of the world the more i am convinced that i shall never see a man whom i can truly love to fall deeply. Marianne, you must change. You will catch a cold. What care I for colds when there is such a man? You will care very much when your nose swells up. You are right. Help me, Eleanor. To feel intensely. There's something of great importance that I need to tell you. Why did you not urge him to stay? He must have had his reasons for going. I do not understand, Emma Mark. Why does she never mention Edward? Eleanor, where is your heart? To surrender completely Your sister seems very happy Do you think he'll kneel down when he asks her? They always kneel down To risk everything We know so little of him What is it you suspect him of? Will it be?
1: <laughs>
0: From Jane Austen's timeless classic
1: There's some blue sky, let us chase it
0: Comes a motion picture Beyond All Expectations. Academy Award winner Emma Thompson. Alan Rickman. Kate Winslet. And Hugh Grant. Sense and Sensibility.
1: He had many things going for him. Oh, I just wondered if if you'd like to
0: to go for a a walk sometime. Yes. He had our hearts, but not the speech. A truly deeply i don't know any lines it's <laughs> going well there's a terrible impression i missed
1: that movie guy i know uh, your voice was very good phil Congrats. oh thank you thank you thank you uh so there trailer pretty much summed it all up really <laughs> i don't really say anything uh, this is directed by Ang Lee do you, do you oh know? yes I did know that yeah same guy I did Crouching Tiger and Dragon same guy I did Brokeback Mountain and Hulk of course <laughs> and you could have Hulk yeah Uh, I really love this film I think it's a fantastic film it tells the story of the Dashwoods Eleanor and Marianne who are both sensible and not so sensible hence mm-hmm. sensibility one's a bit too emotional one's a bit too sensible there you go there's the there's the kind of classic Jane austen thing going on yes indeed Phil this stars Kate Winslet and Emma Thompson as the two main girls Marianne and Eleanor and I think it is pitch perfectly, and the performances are exceptional, exquisite,
0: you might exquisite say. Exquisite indeed. Emma Thompson is very rarely anything but. Apart from *Stranger Than Fiction*. True, that's just a bad film. Uh, let's not talk about that here. <laughs> oh, I like that. No, us. I, I know that. that but... Let's not anyway, talk about it here. Uh,
1: I think it's really, really well done, and it's very impressive how controlled it is, and how. You've got a character which is by nature, by the way it's written, by the whole kind of structure of her character, is so over the top, so emotional, so uh, swayed by love and romance and and suitors. It would be really easy and tempting to have the the sensible one, Eleanor, this is Emma Thompson's character, fade into the background and her kind of be a blank slate or just be boring. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually she's the star of the whole film, in my opinion.
0: That's a good observation, man, because normally we tie right into the dramatic heroine or hero, right?
1: yeah and she's not the whole the whole point about her is she's controlled and she's she proper she follows the social conventions even though underneath actually she's going through much heartache in the course of the film and i think there's one scene which is absolutely fantastic in which is all kind of crescendos between the two sisters one saying you need to have a heart where's your heart and then finally kind of being exposed what's really going on the kind of the deep waters that are in turmoil. Well,
0: that's cool, Phil. And I, got, and I really like that because my main criticism of Jane Austen is that she often has a sort of single female heroine rather than two together and that means when they're just on their own they tend to be very sniping and judgmental of all the women and all the men that they meet whereas at least in this one there's a bit more sisterly compassion because although they're very different actually they do attempt to understand each other a bit right and they've got each other's back they kind of are
1: frustrated with each other and also love each other clearly and you can see that sort of interplay which is very natural to I think sibling relationships yeah totally you know you want to support them but you're also frustrated Mm. by them aren't you yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly yeah. Um also you've got Hugh Grant, which I know you were making fun of earlier on, but Badly, yeah. he does a good job. He fulfills his role here of being sort of bumbly but charming. That's kind of his bread and butter, and he does it well. Also, I think the other sort of standout performance is Colonel Brandon, played by Alan Rickman. Yeah, and he again is is showing just the quality of his acting and his performance in the sense that he is by nature a reserved character and yet you get everything about what's going on with him i think it's well directed in the sense that it gives you time and space and attention in the right sort of way so that you don't feel like you're being force-fed oh this person's sad or this person is hurt by this and instead you just kind of absorb it naturally without even thinking because of the direction it directs you well it leads you through the story and the characters and the emotions And also, it's got a brilliant script written by Emma Thompson. I know, yeah. she got an Oscar for it as well. Yeah, yeah. She's so talented, man. And the script is really good. It's funny. It made me crack up multiple times when I was watching it again and yeah i think jane austen obviously has a reason why she's got all this attention she writes good stories what is really funny though is the whole film makes you care about this poor destitute uh family which has as a servant so so (laughs) you don't even think about it
0: (laughs) well this is what i mean like it's kind of it's a very closed world in jane austen although i mean maybe that's not fair because she was renowned in her later novels for picking up on uh all kinds of things including racism she picked up on that uh yeah, anyway. So. Your
1: degree is coming out again.
0: No, I don't think that's my degree. I think that's half remembered Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. But I love it. I think it's
1: really worth a watch. I think if you can uh take the time to pay attention and follow the kind of slightly proper dialogue or whatever, there's a really good story at the heart of it. And Kate Winslet's great, Emma Thompson's great. Alan Rickman's great Hugh Grant's great there's nothing really not to like
0: I have to admit I think I've only seen it once Phil no that can't be I think I've only seen it once it's a
1: fan favourite with the the Baileys
0: well that's why I think I saw it with our parents years and years and years ago but I can still remember it well enough oddly I think the one I keep watching again and again is Emma and in my head I think I've only got room in my head and my heart for one Jane Austen and, (laughs) and that's it
1: Mr Knightley
0: yes exactly no check it out watch it with Jude I think she'll like it Okay. All right. great for me is an A Nicely done Phil. I will re-watch it and let you know. Okay, and final what we've been watching review from me is Gladiator. It's impossible not to say in a Scottish. Just say Gladiator. Gladiator. No, that's not right either. <laughs> Gladiators! Are you ready? Who is he? Will you move your helmet and tell me your name? My name is Gladiator. Father to a murdered son.
1: Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance.
0: Today I saw a slave become more powerful than the Emperor of Rome.
1: They said you were a giant. I shall cheer for you.
0: At my signal. Unleash hell. Am I not invincible. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Yeah, so I had to cut out quite a lot of that trailer because it's just music for ages. It sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, the music is is almost the star of this film, as anyone who's seen it will know. I mean, it was huge. It was based on Mars, the bringer of war by Holst. It is just incredible and sweeps you along like nothing else. It's one of the things that made Hans Zimmer's reputation and contributed to his rapid decline as he continued to try and replicate that success. I've already said this. I won't say it again. Uh, Listeners, I love... Gladiator. It's the first 15 I ever saw. Did you know that film? Oh, and I that's, saw it when I was too young you never as never forget well. you first. <laughs> I saw it when I was too young around at a friend's house. I put it on and it was that film that everyone was talking about in the playground saying, oh, there's this bit where like, no, I like, get sliced slice in half. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You remember it so well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to admit that when I watch it now, a lot of my feelings towards it have filtered through that because to this day, I can still remember what it was like to be really young watching it. Captured by a great yeah. story. And you know what you do when you're that age is you, instead of focusing focusing... focusing on the film, you pick out all these little details and these little moments. Like, for example, it's still firmly embedded in my head that one of the slaves, when they're waiting to go into the arena, has got like a spiky hairdo. And I remember thinking, that's weird. And and it was just sort of, it's weirdly captivating. And I've got to give a lot of credit to Ridley Scott because I genuinely believe he knows that. And he knows what to do. So that's why, in a lot of the arena fights in there, there are these gladiators who wear odd animal masks, right? Like the pig mask guy. Mm. There are so many specific moments of choreography and direction and detail in all of the scenes that are so powerful in the context of the story. I think it is an undeniable masterpiece and thoroughly deserving of all its Oscars. Definitely is the film which everyone always says
1: is their favourite film. Do you think so? I think it's one of the safest films you can say when somebody said, "Oh, what's your favourite film?" I think quite a lot of people would say Gladiator.
0: It's funny because it didn't get, it didn't wasn't sort of universally beloved on release. Some critics had a go at it and said it was a bit turgid and a bit dour, and. You know, watching it again, I recently saw it. Uh, First thing I noticed was that I don't think I probably realised, but the only copy that I own on DVD is an extended cut, and there's no way to not see the extended cut, which I find really annoying, because I prefer to see the cinematic cut almost Mm. always. I feel that way about Lord of the Rings too. Sorry, extended uh, version fans. But it is interesting to me how... I notice things that are not perhaps quite as good as they could be. I think some of the script is quite clunky uh, in places and it's so dripping with drama. One of the most revealing things about that is that in the extended version, do you remember Connie Nielsen as Commodus' sister saying, I've been living in a prison of fear since that day. Do you remember her saying that? Yeah. She says it twice in the extended version. She says it in two separate scenes. And so it's obvious that they cut the scene before they filmed the other one or they realized they weren't going to use it. Why would they use it twice in the extended Because clearly they were swapping it around and there was no the original plan was not to have it in there twice. And it's just interesting to me to see the way that they've obviously got these, like, nuggets <laughs> that they've managed to derive from the screenplay and just placing them wherever they can. And it's definitely a film for catchphrases, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, famously, Russell Crowe actually came up with the big one. Yes. What we do in life hackers in Eternity. He came up with that. These, I think uh, Ridley Scott just said, oh, say something cool, and he
0: said it, and he thought it was terrible and things. But it's obviously one of the biggest lines in yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's huge. I still remember it. I think about it sometimes. <laughs> it's true. And, and I, it, interestingly, there's this scene where he says, husband to a murdered wife. Father to a murdered son, and I will have my vengeance. It is my mother next, right? Yeah. And it's famously he hated that line. He he wanted to refuse to say it. He thought it was awful, and he couldn't quite handle it. And I think there's some story about the way that he allowed himself to do it or there was only one way that he'd permit himself to do it because russell crowe himself thought the lines were terrible and there's a spectacular quote in my opinion uh, that he has directed to one of the screenwriters william nicholson who's also an english novelist interesting novelist he said russell crowe to him your lines are garbage but i'm the greatest actor in the world and i can make even garbage sound good what a claim now, you see, I, this is a good, it's a good launching off point because, Phil, you and I, I think, disagree about Russell Crowe. I think he is a really, really good actor. Don't know about greatest actor in the world, which he obviously thinks, but I think he's brilliant.
1: I disagree. I think he can do some things well. I think he's great in Beautiful Mind, and I think he's good in this role, but I think the role kind of just suits him. I don't think he's acting.
0: I completely disagree. And, you know, it's that little insight, the fact that he hated a lot of the lines, and yet... You believe his performance. Try and deny it. That's true. That if, is true. With you reading the lines you think this is just rubbish. And then you get on camera and you say something that makes your actual heart stir that is really powerful and impressive. And even though he's like a shorter than average Australian man, stocky but shorter, I believe he's like the great Roman general Maximus Decimus Merilius. What his name is? Do you
1: think that is the acting, or is that the script? Is it like the guy had better vision than Russell Crowe did? No way, good man! Look,
0: you say that line in uh, in Phil Bailey version. Why did this? Is, Come on, we, you've got to talk about this game. You've got to do it. Loads do, 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 do. of times. What we do in life echoes an eternity. Or whatever, like no, you know, husband to a mother. No, <laughs> no you're just coming. saying no. You, that's not. That's not. <laughs> well, it's an easy <laughs> argument for me to say because you weren't. You didn't star in the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll never know. Ridiculous. I, I really think Russell Crowe shines in this. There's a lot of emotion, and it's not woodenness. I don't think a lot of his stillness and composure. I think is incredibly well chosen. A lot of the dryness and the sarcasm and the bitterness of the character, I think, is subtly communicated uh, rather than hammerly communicated. I think it's terrific. And, the, and as you already, I know you agree, the supporting cast is amazing. Well, I think and Phoenix steals the show. You reckon?
1: Yeah, I really do. I think him as Commodus, I think, is wonderfully wicked and nasty, and he's both pathetic and evil all at the same time but and menacing.
0: because he's so over the top in his performance, and I agree with you, Phil. The only reason he gets away with it is because of the rounded-out performances of the rest of the cast. If it was just Joaquin Phoenix doing his thing and it was someone other than, say, Russell Crowe, it would be way over the top. Do you think it would become a campy, sort of ridiculous film? I don't think it would work in quite the same way, certainly. Also, Richard Harris. Oh yeah, wonderfully performed. He, those scenes early on in the film are terrific, aren't they? And and that particular battle, right? The oh, it's one of the best openings, surely, to any blockbuster film. That amazing fight against the barbarians. It's so well structured. Like I can remember the flow of the battle because it all makes sense to me. You've got the the headless uh, scouts coming back on the horse and then you've got the barbarians emerging out of the forest. People, I remember thinking how amazing and how awesome it was to see Roman soldiers look real. But do you remember when they're, they're just trudging down in their little phalanxes or whatever it mm. is, and they look so tired, and <laughs> they look like they're trying to watch their foot while they step in the mud? And I thought, well, I, in, my, in all my school lessons, I never believed that a Roman army really existed, and I did in this.
1: I've got a funny feeling about Gladiator because that was a film that my history teacher wanted to show our class... Uh, to illustrate how the Romans did battle, and our mum said I wasn't allowed to see it, and so nobody in the class could watch it. <laughs> oh, no! It. So I was oh, really?
0: Reason. She, she it for the whole class? Yeah, because I wasn't wanting to watch it. Oh, She's she, she like, okay, we won't She's not going to thank you for bringing that up. Sorry, Mum, but I'm still a bit bitter about it. Well, there you go. I'm gushing again. I think it's amazingly paced. We haven't even talked about the music. Well, we have briefly with Hans Zimmer, but also there's the sort of, well, Enya-ish wailing, of course, uh, going through the (laughs) fields. I can't do it, but you know, the one with the hand bit. Jimon Hounzu, or Hounzu, I don't know how to pronounce his name, who is one of the best sort of buddies in that kind of film. He's brilliant in this man. I think that's what's won him all the roles that he's had recently. He was in King Arthur as well. I think, yeah, so... A plus from me I think it's a masterwork Get back on the horse Ridley Scott And give us something else That's as good please He always does stuff That's interesting Yeah but he tried to Recapture the magic With Robin Hood Do you remember that And Kingdom of Heaven Both failures Mm, Interesting Right, well, there we go. That was slightly longer at the end there. Listeners, love to know your thoughts on all four of those films. How to train your dragon, children of men, Sentence Sensibility, and Gladiator. Send your plus ones and minus ones to me and Phil if you agree or disagree with us at SuperBabyBros on Twitter or to SuperBabyBros at gmail.com. Laurie, do an email song. I'd like to read some emails and thankfully you've sent us some. Woo! How's that, Phil? (laughs) You love Andy on the woo. I can't help it. It's like a defence mechanism. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope that people forget the song and just focus on the woo. And I think it works. It does. It distracts. Listeners, thanks so much for being in touch over the last week. Uh, I'll get going straight away. Alistair got in touch a couple of times. Sad one here, Phil. At Super Bailey Bros. Hi, boys. Have not listened to your latest podcast but saw Wonder Woman earlier and sad to say found it underwhelming, except for No Man's Land. Uh, and the No Man's Land scenes were good, but a lot of it was just slow and dull with dodgy CGI. But Gal Gadot, fantastic. Pine, okay. That's Chris Pine. That's a minus one for you, right? I suppose it is. I'm really sorry to hear that you didn't enjoy it that much, Alistair. Um, interesting, you flagged up the No Man's Land scene, which I didn't mention in my review. Um, not particularly to avoid spoilers. It's probably, it was in every article I've seen. There's a sequence where Wonder Woman goes over the top of the trench, right? Yeah, that's the big kind of show stop a moment right yeah i mean i, I actually i wasn't that keen on it I, I, weirdly enough i know this makes me sound very fuddy-duddy-ish i thought come on I, I was thinking there's a slight respect issue there i i never like it when superheroes are the ones who turn the tide of the war seriously respect the service people who don't oh right you're saying that's it's, personally it's how i feel
1: un- yeah not for entertainment purposes i
0: don't like it no i think that's why blackadder are the only people i can remember who managed to make a comedy show about the first world war appropriate because they never touched that. And the only time they even come close to it was this one of the saddest moments TV has had to offer. So I don't think it's a great place to show off your superheroes' uh, big skills, personally. interesting. interesting. I'm not going to say it's offensive because I don't think it was, but for me, I just... It makes it's, you uncomfortable. It soured it for me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, he didn't enjoy it, Alistair. Listeners really like to know what your thoughts are on Wonder Woman. Keep them coming to at Super Bros. Uh, or yeah, you know, <laughs> you know the drill by now. Uh, next one. But we had a comment on our website, which is a very rare occurrence, and mm, I'm not really sure what to make about this because my assumption almost always is that it's a spam comment, right? Right. Right. Because that's right. how those things work. Uh, and but this one claims to be from Kerry Mulligan. And the review is the red turtle of the title appears to be nothing if not a kind of gift from nature to this nameless man who without it might spend the entirety of his life alone, which is, you know, actually quite an insightful comment (laughs) about the red turtle. But I can't believe that Kerry Mulligan listens to the show. So Kerry, if you're out there, you know, give us a holler. But I'm pretty certain that spam, very sophisticated spam. That's very wow. yeah. Wow. So there what you do, go. What do we do with that? <laughs> it's very puzzling. Well, apparently, what we do is read it out on the show. <laughs> right. Okay. Moving on swiftly. Uh, Esther got in touch on Twitter. So glad you liked After the Storm to me plus one. It's really good. Have you come across it yet, Phil? It's at the Phoenix Picture House. I know. I Haven't been able to get down to
1: it, but I really want to see. I want to see. I wish. As
0: well. Yeah, they're so good. They're so enjoyable and gentle. Love them. Listeners, go see it if you can. I don't know how long that one will be in cinemas. And she also got in touch, actually, with a, a longer email saying, "I've seen some more movies, so she's got a few thoughts for us. Thought I'd give you another roundup." She says, "It's taken me ages to get round to writing this. My husband and I are going to Boston in October, so thought we'd prep with a few films set there." Brackets, any recommendations? There appears below to be loads. hold fire, Phil. I know you've got some. She says, "Unfortunately, almost all of them don't paint the city in a particularly good light, particularly the Affleck ones." My husband finally watched Spotlight, which he loved. Great as movie. As did I when I saw it last year, and I believe I gave you a short review. Yes, yeah, we liked it as well. Well, tough film, but good one. Yeah, very good
1: film. Very nuanced.
0: Together, we also watched Gone Baby Gone and The Social Network. I know both of which you've reviewed, of course. I have reviewed, yeah, yeah. She says the former, I thought, wasn't great. Oh, right, okay. Gone Baby Gone. Enjoyed Holly from the US office's performance, (laughs) uh, but overall felt disappointed that Casey Affleck's girlfriend was basically given no character at all. The twists of the plot were kind of dumb in the end, and a few scenes I hid behind a cushion as they were not nice. I kind of agree with all that. I enjoyed it, though. I think it's all right there we go and she says the latter the social network was exactly what i was hoping for fun interesting story amusing relatively light-hearted yeah surprisingly good film that one yeah We also watched Captain Fantastic recently, which had such a promising first half to two-thirds. Fun concept, interesting questions and observations on life, good performances by the young cast, but was let down a bit by the end. In particular, the two points I pick out as shifting to not so great were when the girl goes on the rescue mission across the roof. The music and filming techniques make it immediately obvious what's going to happen, and so it doesn't allow for that much tension. Number two, when there's a reveal right at the end of the film, it felt a bit like a cliché to me. Now, Esther, I've got to say to you, I slightly agree with you on your first point, but I don't think you're supposed to feel that tense about the outcome. I think the whole film builds up to an expectation at that point. So I, I don't think it's just the way that scene was directed. I think it's the whole film is leading you to that conclusion, and it's deliberately doing that. And then the second one, there is a theory that uh, that particular moment is not actually real. It's more in the imagination of the main character which makes it depressing. Whereas I don't necessarily think that's right. I think it is meant to be a bit more ambiguous than you've taken it. So I hope that helps with the way that is. But but thanks for your thoughts. Very cryptic. I have no idea. What good. It's well, you I, I still I want to see. Don't spoil it. I me. really
1: don't want really to spoil it. I still want to see Captain Fantastic. People keep on like talking to me about it and saying, oh, I finally saw it. I want to know blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen it. I want to see it.
0: It's really worth a go. It's It's surprisingly good. It's exactly your kind of film, Phil. It's a mid-budget small movie. Oh, I love those. You love them. And it's a final note here that we need to check out half of A Yellow Sun on iPlayer. I haven't heard of that, so I guess we should. Okay. All right. Okay. As ever, she says, keep up the good work. Thanks so much for getting in touch, Esther. Cheers, Esther. Oh, well, she also added a postscript. Is anyone else sad we don't get to hear the rejected bonuses from Super Bailey Bros? The rejected bonuses? <laughs> As in when I give you a list oh, and you always <laughs> pick one and we never come back to the others.
1: Well, it's your, you're the one you're the key master there. Sometimes so I do come back to them. You do come what? back to them.
0: I wonder which one you feel that you've missed out on, Esther. If you let me know, I'll make sure to include it. Sometimes I just kind of look in Laurie's eyes and I know that basically he said it all in that little statement. Mm. Oh, now, Phil, really exciting email here. We've got a brand new emailer getting in touch. Hooray! I've been waiting for you! you finally <laughs> arrived! You see, listeners, because we, we have a lot of people listening to the show and some people get in touch maybe very rarely, just once or twice some people never get in touch and just listen. And then we've got, you know, fan favourites who get in touch a lot and we enjoy the sort of chit-chat. So it's always very exciting when we hear from someone. Yeah, I've been, I've been begging for it week by week. <laughs> I <laughs> knew you were out there. Here we go. Lydia got in touch. Hello Lydia. She says a very late Beauty and the Beast review. Hey bros, I'm a relatively new listener and was shown your podcast by my sister who on a car journey said I had to hear your review of Beauty and the Beast as it described exactly what we both thought about the film. We listened to the review throughout the car journey and spent it both nodding along. You're going to love this Phil and enthusiastically interjecting exactly whenever Phil made a point. We both (laughs) said to each other. Yes. Oh, don't give loving time. this, this it's Terrible for me. This list. I want to give all the plus ones to Phil, which is good because somebody took them all away, the didn't they? <laughs> That's right. Someone said minus all the points from Phil, uh, and yeah, she notes uh, he's obviously lost a few through that negative review. I'm a massive Disney fan, and Beauty and the Beast is my favourite film and has been since I was a child. When it was revealed that Beauty and the Beast remake was going to be made, I made it clear I wasn't happy. Why remake a classic? In saying that, I did go in wanting to enjoy it. I think we both did that, didn't we, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to go...
1: I don't think I've ever really gone into a film
0: actively wanting to not like it. Yeah, exactly. And she says, who doesn't want to see their favourite animation come to life? However, I just didn't. I completely agree that The Beast was not scary enough and showed no real transformation from his beast self to show compassion and become more human. Instead, he was portrayed as a moody teenager throughout. With a pout, yeah. Yeah, completely. I agree with that as well. He just seemed petulant all the time. And while there was a bit of that in the Disney film, it was matched by aggression, wasn't it? He was a real beast. He was scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated the new songs. Yeah, me too, sadly. Even sadder for the fact that they seemed to have been written by Alan Menken, who was the original genius. Well, clearly they weren't in there for a reason, weren't they? Well, exactly. Uh, She thought the added backstory was irrelevant Relevant and boring, yes, also agreed. The BR guest sequence could not be compared to the original. My sister and I also agree that they didn't use the magnificent score enough. Yes, I completely agree. And that's something I really noticed at the beginning of the film. If you remember the opening prologue of the animated Beauty and the Beast, it's got a very deep voice, very sort of fairy tale, fable voice, and the right and it feels very weighty and serious this the animated disney film has no shame in it being a fairy tale and it's sort of a dark it, intense yeah, fairy tale isn't it dark and imaginative yep yeah, so completely agree with you on all of these things lydia oh she does actually then say exactly what i just said sorry <laughs> forgive me lydia i can't help myself i often jump in in the middle the opening number she says in the animation makes the hairs on my arms stand up And it was no good in this. In fact, after listening to a review, my sister and I made my brother-in-law watch the animation just to prove how good it was. Yes, that is a good decision
1: very good decision we endorse that very much
0: so many people I've spoken to have never seen the original animation it's staggering isn't it you assume
1: every single person's all seen it but then you hear that their parents basically say oh we didn't have that VHS or whatever so they just miss out on Disney classics
0: it really holds up well and you'll see it's just so much tighter and just much more impressive in every way since then I've listened to carries on I've listened to your backlog of film reviews crikey that's a lot isn't it Wow. And want to thank you for making my journeys to work and doing jobs around the house more entertaining. And I always look forward to what you have to say. Oh, that's, that's so nice. very nice, very nice. Uh, I know it's a late review for a film that came out in March, but I've only plucked up the courage to send an email in just now, after the same sister told me to.
1: Right. See, see, I <laughs> oh. knew, I knew. So that's a very
0: serious tone of voice right
1: that now. That's very true. You don't, don't be afraid. <laughs> There's no way to say this. that sounding creepy. But I know that there are people there who have thoughts and are thinking and (laughs) interacting with us as they listen to us and saying, Phil, what are you talking about? You're talking rubbish. Or, Laurie, I can't believe you think that. Or, yes, Laurie, finally somebody said it. We want to hear from you. And please don't be afraid of us, please. Do you think people are afraid? I think the thing is, is we have those regular emailers who we love hearing from. uh, And we, we, we know them now. We kind of have this kind of, pen pal thing going on yeah that's true and so you kind of get used to it. they become like friends and so you kind of tear into them and you disagree with them because you know they're not going to take it personally And they I think, keep emailing you, mean. yeah right. they keep on emailing <laughs> yeah. so it's like it's okay they're okay they're cool with it but don't be afraid especially a new email we, we want to hear from
0: you I know, well, unironically you don't know how happy it makes <laughs> Phil and I to realise that people are listening to the show and enjoy it's it great. it's really
1: nice it's really really nice
0: yeah so thank you so much Lydia and she does have a couple more things to say also she says sorry my first email is a negative review look it can't be helped Lydia we feel that way when we review three films and we hated all of them there's <laughs> just, nothing to be done you about can't do anything. it we don't ask for the films to be bad they just sometimes are it's true she says looking forward to hearing more and writing more thoughts in yes 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 nice yes. trailblazing there Lydia we like the way you think and we like the way you email <laughs> keep them coming <laughs> Uh, okay, final one to note
1: here. Actually, before you get in there, can we do the email now while people are fresh in their mind? If you've got something you want to tell, tell us, or something you think, yes, I want the Bailey Bros to know this, email us in, superbaileybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. We really, really, really love hearing from you. Yeah,
0: unironically, it's the whole reason we set up the show, to create that discussion and let people just vent their thoughts. So, have at it. Okay, Gufush has got in touch. Dear belly Bros and Benedict, I think the question all us bros and sisters and pixels want to ask is did benedict take a selfie with uma thurman i think the is no he's too cool for that he's he too wise cool. he's too media savvy isn't he <laughs> that's what it is you don't want to lose your cool and be that excited fan i think boy. the more interesting question is did he do an upwards nod or a downwards nod oh really a oh, good point actually man maybe you said hi I did that Ooh. when I saw Simon Mayo at a screening I was like oh hi <laughs> <laughs> he completely looked straight through did me did he
1: just kind of go through like you were a ghost <laughs> yeah
0: I don't think I was really I'm, I'm not even sure I was there Phil <laughs> Okay. Uh, your review of the Red Turtle and mentioning of the artist triggered a memory of mine and this is when we were talking about it frustrated me in the Red Turtle they say there's no dialogue and then they speak and then you hate in the in the artist for the same reason right yeah silent film but then there's a sequence which isn't silent there we go one of my friends he says threw a challenge about Hollywood movies at me one day in quotes this section do you see any Patterns in recent films. All the loud and deafening sound effects, especially the sound. If you try and mute your TV, taking out all the sounds and the dialogue, just watching the movie on its own as a silent movie, can you still pick up anything of the story it is trying to tell? Can any film stand the silent test? I think that's a really interesting question, and I think. Some of the more skillful...
1: Basically, it's, is the direction good, isn't it? Is the direction leading you in the story? Is it showing you shots and, and close-ups and making you pay attention to certain faces and moments to make
0: you understand the character's emotions, even if you don't understand the plot points? That is interesting. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really good concept. It's a slightly flawed idea because even silent movies had uh, cuts away from the action the to do black text with yeah, white but words I think
1: it. I think this is not focusing on plot, and that's very much the plot. You need to have the dialogue for the plot. But this is saying, can you pick up on
0: the story? Can you pick up on... From the actual physical performances, from the way it's shot, that sort Exactly, of yeah. Is it communicating it in the visuals? It's a visual medium, and it's got to be there. So I think there's definitely merit in it, and it'll be interesting, listeners. If you want to take up that silent challenge, if you can find a segment of film that works really well without sound, then we'd love to hear that.
1: I think it's quite a good test for good direction,
0: basically. Well, you take up the silent challenge. I will, it. I will. I'll try and find something. Uh, he goes on to say, I "Forgive my poor interpretation of what he said. Not at all. I thought it was very clear." As usual, lots of love from your most faithful fan, the wise man from the east, Confucius. Thanks, Confucius. Great email. Yeah, really good. Oh, and uh, we've had one as we've been uh, recording, Phil. As sometimes happens. At super Betty rose from Nicholas. Am I the only one who didn't like Wonder Woman? Well, no. Alistair didn't like it either. <laughs> not a bad... so bad. Sorry, that wasn't meant to be mean. So I was mean. saying it to myself. This is why people don't email it. I, pr- I promised you, Nicholas. That wasn't supposed to be mean. The answer is no. No, there is someone else who didn't like it. Alistair emailed today and didn't like it. There not you go. Much a... better. Work on that tone. <laughs> Work on that warmth,
1: Florina. I'm
0: sorry. Make me
1: feel like it's my fault. No, no. Uh,
0: not a bad movie, he says. But I was bored throughout, and the end was ridiculous. Uh, he's given me a minus one in brackets and a question mark. It's okay, you can just give me the minus one. I did like it. I agree with you about the ending, but I've come to expect such things from superhero movies. I think
1: people are quite surprised that you liked it, though, because you're not normally a superhero fan... Uh, well, you don't, don't really like the genre I think this
0: is uh, it's not true I don't dislike superhero films I enjoy them a lot I just don't have high expectations from them mm. I don't think they're going to transform cinema I don't expect to see anything new they you are don't think form they're that serious either no no I think they're a comic book film so it really it bugs me when people want to make them deadly serious because I just don't think they are I think you can deal with serious themes without making a serious film but also I think comic books can be serious sometimes yeah but those are the ones I don't like fair enough fair enough. okay right listeners thank you so much for getting in touch keep your plus ones and minus ones coming to us and as we said earlier and we seem to be saying it more and more every week send your thoughts in superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on twitter oh listeners of course uh, youtube don't forget it's there if there's a particular thought you've got about a review a particular point that we made you want to share or discuss why not head to youtube and try and find the reviews there these particular reviews this week will be out a few days later but you know just throwing that into the mix
1: and also it's a great way to catch up on a review you didn't watch I or listen to yeah right look
0: we've gone on and on Phil this is actually going to be a really long episode we try,
1: We always try and say oh it's going to be a really short one now we'll do a really Never. express we should version. stop
0: saying that that's what we should stop doing okay moving on so there you go this episode is now Finny. and which episode is this <laughs> Fini. <laughs> <laughs> is he right <laughs> uh, yes C'est fini. Uh, episode 28 of season 2, also known as episode 78 overall. Overall, there you go. Uh, next week we're going to be doing The Mummy. That
1: is going to be released and there's going to be other films as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. I'm actually going to be on BBC Radio Oxford next week. Listeners, I found out ahead of time this week uh, next Thursday. So I will be covering Gifted with Chris Evans, I think. A film I haven't heard that much about. I'm also going to be doing La Moule or La Moute, uh Slack Bay, a strange French film. Uh, Rock Dogs, uh, Kids movie and I may well have seen Churchill by then as well because although there is a review embargo for Churchill uh, until next Friday of course the podcast will be out on Friday so we have able to, to do that
1: so Laurie's going to be seeing all the films that's I four have, films isn't it I have no idea what films I am going to see I don't you don't want me to do all four go and see one please I'll films. try to see you one. see the mummy okay I'll definitely see the mummy okay good stuff
0: Uh loads of support to you then listeners have a great week cool that's it ta-ta for now and uh, you know we're in a new country since <laughs> the election let's all hope it turns out really well
1: at least the film's the
0: same Yeah. Bye. Bye.
1: Right. Basically, uh, I've actually got a choice of bonuses. Oh, to you're the uh, I'm doing. I'm doing you. Mm. Uh, so here we go. It's quite pressure because I uh, one of these I feel like quite confident about the other one not so much. So here what we go. What do you go. mean in
0: terms of whether they'll be interesting or what? Yeah, basically. You're well, you gonna do both, or do you want me to
1: choose? No, one? No, no, I want you to choose. So okay. one is uh, the best sandwich ever. Question mm. mark. Question mark.
0: Kids embarrassing parents. You see now, I'm going to use your logic, which is that uh, we talk too much about families because I go on and on about my own children. So let's have the best sandwich ever. You chose the wrong word. I just just basically had the best sandwich ever. Is that it? Like,
1: it's (laughs) more than (laughs) you think. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. I'm sorry. It was amazing. It was so good. <laughs> I can't believe you. And the thing is, is I I bit, I bit into it. I was at a, a little cafe thing, and you think it was a really like out of the way cafe thing. It wasn't mm. like fancy. It wasn't sort of pretentious or anything Not like that. Mad. It was just a little hole in the wall place. It was like this ciabatta, chicken and bacon, cheese thing. It was huge. It was crispy. It was so tasty. And the thing was, it was so good that as I was eating, it, I was saying to the person I was with, I was like, oh, this sandwich is, it's, it's really good, really good. And then she was like, is this the best sandwich ever? I think it might be the best sandwich ever I've Did had. Did she like it as well? She really liked it. She, had it. she tried it. And I was like, no, it can't be the best sandwich ever. That's ridiculous. That's so stupid. And then just as I ate it, it won me over. A sandwich won me over. And I was like, this is so good. It was so tasty. And I've never, I can't remember the last time that's happened. When was the last time you had something you thought this is the best thing I've ever eaten? Well,
0: I'll tell you what, Phil. I have frequently had uh, like the best cup of tea ever. Magic cups of tea? You yeah. told me about this. I have I told you magic cups of tea? That's a better way of putting it because they're occasionally, and listeners, forgive me, this is going to sound really pretentious. And you can be like my wife and say, I like to drink girl cray because I like <laughs> old cray. I think old grey tea is really yummy. And if you can get the right balance of milk and the right amount of time the tea bag is in, the right temperature of water, and it's the right time of day, context, everything, hydration level. Just occasionally, your body tells you this is the best drink you've ever had in your life, (laughs) and I know that. But I mean, it keeps happening again and again. But like sometimes, magic cups of tea. So I understand, Phil. The test is if you go back there and order the same thing, will it be as good? But this is the thing: Do I go back? Do I do I tarnish the the memory memory of of this amazing amazing sandwich? sandwich. It's still okay because you can say that day something magic happened. But
1: then it's like an ineffable. Is that right? You saw that word? I don't know, Phil. Ineffable. I can't. I can't grasp it. Again, it's not something tangible I can experience again. It's a memory in the Spits past. beansville Where is this place? It's just in the Covered Market in Oxford. What's it called? It's the one. I think it's called Brothers. Oh yeah, I know Brothers. Yeah. Seriously, get the club club sandwich, toasted ciabatta. How interesting! Delicious. Hmm. But then I also have this theory that basically, uh, you know, toast. If if if, if I do kn- know toast, yeah, you know toast? I know toast. <laughs> this is classic Phil Bailey bonus <laughs> right now. Toast, I reckon, if somebody makes toast for you, it is so much better than you if you think make so? toast Actually, yourself. Actually, my wife says that to me. She says I do good toast. That's I think true, it is, then. If, it's the fact that you haven't had to make it, and it's just there. And somehow, their spreading ability, their kind of casual, don't care attitude to the marmalade Let's and the butter, fair. whatever... It just you makes know, so it magic. You're not
0: wrong because a special treat I sometimes offer myself because <laughs> uh, I occasionally uh, sit in the swimming pool cafe while my wife takes up my daughter swimming so that I look after our, our son mm. and, it, and it gets some work done but I often treat myself to jam and butter on toast from the cafe and it's always worth it listeners if jam because and the you're toast not making on the it. Men- yeah, there is something especially tasty about that maybe you're onto something Phil magic food yeah well Listeners let us know Have you ever had Have you had the best sandwich ever Maybe we need a sandwich <laughs> fight Sandwich fight That's not a thing I don't know man you bonus. Seriously I want
1: you to try though Try it and I, I think it'll blow you away
0: I shall <laughs> Just raise the hackles On your uh, On your Raise the hackles on your neck What's the phrase Raise the hairs on your neck I guess a bird in the hand Is worth two in the bush you Can't say that can you Yeah Well that was rude <laughs> So there you go This episode at Yeah